Welcome to the Community Builder Podcast. The world is our classroom, and every moment is an opportunity to understand human connection at a newer level. On this podcast, we'll explore the minds of active community builders as they strive to leave their imprint on the world. Travis King. Let's build. So, yeah, kind of what we were just talking about offline a little bit about, you know, brands becoming a bigger part of people's lives. And now I'm trying to really find that intersection of where brands and people can ultimately coexist in a world where it's not just, hey, come buy my coffee or come, you know, buy my product and this transactional sort of sale and kind of thinking like, oh, well, how are brands connecting with people in the future moving forward, right? So that's kind of like one of the things that we can touch on a little bit later in this episode, but kind of a quick jump off for people that don't know who you are. Um, Jason uh, Harris, he is the president and CEO of Mechanism, um, a San Francisco-based creative agency. He also just wrote a book, The Soulful Art of Persuasion. Uh, he also has another company, you know, Epic Signal, that he also works with and runs and a bunch of other things, right? So could you, one, Jason, thanks so much for hopping on with me. Yeah, today. thanks for having me, man. Yeah, it's going to be fun. Yeah, man, I'm excited. So I guess could you like quick brief intro people, like what you, like who you are, what you do, like what you care about, and then we'll kind of dive into some of the talking points. Sure, yeah. So I, um, I've been in advertising my whole career. I was one of those weird kids that when I was 12 or 13, I knew I wanted to be uh, a, a madman. Like I wanted to go into advertising, which is very strange. Uh, but I was, I was like a TV addict and I always loved watching those, those ads in between the shows. And I was like, someone does that for a living. That's what I want to do. So I kind of always knew my path and I worked at a bunch of different agencies and then started co-founded Mechanism, creative agency. We have four offices. We're about 200 people. We work with about 30 brands like Peloton, Ben & Jerry's, HBO, Alaska Airlines, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so we do a lot of a lot of brands. We're pretty pretty big size at this point. And um, I also acquired a company that you know Brendan runs, who was on the show, uh, Epic Signal. That's a social media and influencer marketing company. So we've got those companies. And then I have a production company called Sister. And then I started a nonprofit called the Creative Alliance, which is a hundred companies that do social good campaigns. And then I wrote the, this book, The Soulful Art of Persuasion. So like you, I have a lot of different things going on. I'm entrepreneurial minded. So I'm always thinking of what else can I start or what else can I put out into the world? But what I really stand for is uh, in advertising, I got, I love it. It's fun. I got, you know, pretty disillusioned with it. I don't know about, 15, 16 years into it, that that's all that it was. It's just, okay, I've kind of mastered it. I've got a pretty successful company. I enjoy it. Is that what my career is? Because I believe that, you know, career and life are, are interlinked and there's not a divider line. And so that's when I got into sort of the pro bono social good space, which I talk a lot about in the book, is this idea of doing, giving back and and adding a little soul into into business and how that impacts your life and your relationships 
and how you feel about what you do every day. And so that's been, that was when you asked what I stand for, you know, I stand for making money, having fun, but also doing a lot of good in the world. And, and that, that's what made me happy in business is adding that third element, you know, not, not just having a job you like and making money, but trying to be an inspiration and doing more than that. Um, and that was sort of the turning point for me in business. Love it, man. Thanks so much for that, that powerful intro. And I think that that's such a key point for me that to, to bring back up is the soulfulness part of it. Like, I don't see many people really diving into soul when it comes to business because a lot of people think business is soulless. Yeah. So they do. Yeah. For me, I'm like, Oh wow. Like he has a book about soulful persuasion. Right. And so like some of the principles in in that book, right. Being original, being generous, being empathetic and being soulful. Like, could you touch on a couple of these for us real quick and kind of bring us to, you know, how you might've laid these out or maybe for people listening that might either be a B2B marketer or someone in sales or, you know, another fellow entrepreneur, like how can they apply or use some of these principles in their own worlds? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, I could give you the general synopsis. We don't have to go too deep, but the book is based on those four principles that you outlined. And then there's, there's habits or exercises or practices under each of those principles. And what I found is I'm a, I'm a pretty avid business book reader and this was like a three-year journey to write this book. And what I found was the business books I was reading didn't really speak to me in the way that I wanted them to. The idea behind it was I'd read all these business books and they were much more about transaction and closing deals. And I, my, I have a different philosophy. And my philosophy is about playing the long game in business and building relationships. And I found that it really touched a note with people and, and the book really sort of said something. And the, the four principles I'll touch on real quick. Original is really the idea of, of leaning into who you are and writing down your, your beliefs and the things that you want to value in life and sticking to those. It's about being sto- a good storyteller. And it's really about having a point of view, but it's really about uh, be yourself, everyone else is taken. And I think in business, too often, we try to not be vulnerable and not show ourselves or not show our true selves. We might have our business persona or our, our actual persona outside of business. And this is really about trying to always follow that idea of being your original unique self and leaning into that in all facets of your life. And the second idea about generosity is really about trying to uh, give, give, give things away without expecting anything in return. And that can be, Sure, it could be gifts, but it could be time, counsel, advice, connections. And it's about being a generous person of spirit and how that helps you in business over the long haul. And it builds trust with people and helps you keep business flowing. It actually really does. And then the, the third is this idea of being empathetic. And it's about collaboration. It's about connecting with people. It's about working on an idea together. So you're not selling an idea that someone doesn't have any input into. And it's about how do you become a collaborative business person and how that brings success. And then the fourth one is really about being an inspiration and being soulful and trying to do something that gives back that's bigger than yourself and how that impacts business. And I found that these principles together can help make people personally and professionally more successful. 
and you know it, it the habits that are in the book you can actually practice them because for me i wasn't naturally a generous person like i didn't i didn't come out of the womb like being a generous minded person i was a little self-centered and selfish and that's something i had to learn over time and practice and when you practice them they become habits and of course you need to want to be that way but some things you might have a natural gift for you might always know how to be your unique self and that's not an issue for you you don't have to practice that but other things like you're not an empathetic person there's ways that you can implement exercises to make the them part of of who you are um so i, I find in the book it's sort of general it's a general um playbook and then there's specific techniques you can do to make uh what i find uh soulful persuasion to, to be nice and let me ask you out of the habits that you've picked up what was the hardest one for you to develop and maybe a little bit of why yeah so i would say this idea of generosity and sort of this philosophy of giving something away at every, every interaction was the hardest for me because i i was always for a while i would not share advice especially to competitors or other people in the space i wouldn't be generous with my contacts or connections to people and i guess i i sort of had more of a ball hog mentality and i thought by giving something away you weren't getting you know i i lived by like a quid pro quo mentality and i knew that wasn't right and i didn't want to stick to that and and so over time i've developed this idea of just mindfully being a generous person and trying to with every person you come in contact with try to try to give them something and it could be a way to help their business or someone that you want to introduce them to or it could be advice or it could be even sending something simple like sending them an article that you read to let them know that you're thinking about them but those are that's something that I really had to sort of shed my old way of thinking my younger naive way of thinking about business and mature it and learn how to do it. That was the hardest for me. I love that. That's super, super valuable. And I think a lot of people can relate to that because I've even done that myself, like to out myself in that I have so many sales strategies and like little links that if a salesperson were to use them, I know it would easily improve, you know, their, their process. Right. And so part of me is like, ah, I don't want to share this because the second I share this, it goes on LinkedIn and then every salesperson and their mom are going to use it. And that means it could be used for bad or it could be used for right. good. Sure. Right. So. <laughs> yeah. That's, I, I, I feel that. And I don't think, you know, if you have like a secret sauce or trade secrets, you know, you don't have to, you don't have to give everything away, but you, if someone asks you for help, you could, you could do a phone call. And say, hey, you know, try this, this, or this. You can you can do it in a way where you don't feel like you're compromising any trade secrets. You know, I don't want to, you know, if I have a pitch deck of the way we pitch or our process, I don't want to give that thing away. But if so, if a CEO from an agency calls me and is like, hey, man, I'm having a hard time drumming up new business. What are some ideas? I might say, you know, one one technique we do is when we lose a pitch, I stay in contact with that client. And I build a relationship with them. And I always, I always hear in my head, 
it's not a no forever. It's a no for right now. And over time, you'd be surprised that when you, when you go back to those relationships that you've pitched, you can turn that relationship into a yes later on. And so I might give them advice like that, like, hey, go back to all those pitches you had and reconnect with all those clients. That's one way to, to drum up new business, but I don't have to give them my entire playbook, you know. But some, that's just an example. If someone comes to you, you don't have to send them that magic link, but you can give them a principle from it that maybe they could benefit from. Yeah. No. And speaking of that, I'm like, hey, speaking of nuggets and gen- generosity, the, the nugget was is looking at the the sentiment analysis of the tone of the messaging that salespeople are writing. So this also could apply to advertising, right? So if you do a campaign and you look and see like what the headline is, and you're like, hmm, does this evoke some sort of positivity? Is there joy? Is there curiosity? Is there um, anger? Is there fear in these words? And like, what correlation does that have to how the message is responded to or interacted with. I love that, dude. That's, I write about that in my book, actually, The Pull of Positivity, uh, which I, I firmly believe in. Because, you know, persuasion is pretty binary. There can either be positive persuasion or negative persuasion, and both are really effective. The difference is positive persuasion, you build relationships over time and trust, and negative persuasion is a transactional short-term method. Yeah, I mean, I, I have a, I have a lot of good story in there about positive persuasion, and and when I first dawned on me, like, oh yeah, that that's the way to do it. Yeah. Also, for people listening, you got to go check out the book. Just like I am, I'm almost. I have the audiobook version, and the the hard copy has been uh, obviously slowed down. Um, <laughs> but I, I think one of the things too that that I was picking up from it was just the fact of. Like the the things that really stuck stuck out to me so far have been the principles and specifically the um, the soulfulness side of things. And so like kind of like diving into your actual soul, Jason, a little bit like, can you talk to me about how you're leading right now? Like what sorts of pieces of your soul are either starting to show or maybe even crumble or like get a little out of whack because of what you're going through and what your companies of people are going through. (laughs) So I don't, I didn't mean to like, prop up the question like that, but I'm like, oh, I'm curious on how you're leading through this. Yeah. I mean, we have to, you know, if you think about from a, from a marketing standpoint, I have to, I have to lead through motivating, you know, my, my staff, which is, which is taxed and they're working in a brand new way. I mean, I'm not the, every entrepreneur has to do that, but I have to lead in, in two ways, help lead the people that I work with and communicate with them and be vulnerable and show them, you know, in this, in this uh, COVID time, uh, you know, usually you want to have the answers and be decisive. This is a time when you don't have that luxury. So you have to be very open and vulnerable with your, with your team. I do weekly meetings every Friday where I do a Zoom call and address the entire company and I break it into what I call the three C's, the COVID, our clients, and our company. And I give them the real deal. I'm very transparent. I tell them about our revenue numbers, where we are, our shortfalls. I've always aired on the side of leading with transparency because when you build trust with your employees, they're gonna they're gonna follow you and work harder for you. And when you when you when you hide things or act like everything is fine when it's not, that that's it's really hard to follow a leader like that. So I've really tried to 
lead through consistent communication, honesty, and transparency, and, and vulnerability, and also uh, a little inspiration. You know, I try to try to pick them up at, at the end of those meetings. So I do I do that weekly meeting, and then and then the other side is I have to lead with clients and let them know that you know we're open for business. We can still market. We can still produce things. We figured out ways very quickly to still make, still make production happen. And, uh, you know, those are sort of like the two ways I have to, I have to lead keeping the clients comfortable and then keeping the staff motivated. And it's been, it's been, it's much easier now that we're weeks and weeks into it at the beginning, it was very hard to get your sea legs and you, and you know, the, you, you watch the, 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 the news and there's no clear answers, you know, maybe we'll be back. Who knows? You know, yeah, it's, it's hard to leave in times of uncertainty, but I think that's when you can also dig in and do your best, your best work, I think. There's a quote by Michael Jordan. Have you been watching The Last Dance? Literally, yeah. text message, I'm going to say the time from Boo. It was today at 1046. Can we watch later after work? So like oh, no, we're getting ready to get into it tonight. Oh man, it's so good. But Michael Jordan, it's a real it's really great about leadership and how to motivate people and how to come together to win. And Michael Jordan has this quote, obstacles don't have to stop you. If you run into a wall, don't turn around and give up. Figure out how to climb it, go through it, or work around it. And I really think that's the the world we're in now is uh, you know, COVID's an obstacle. And how do you how do you figure out a way uh, not to run into the wall, but to get around the wall? And and that's what you know I try to have the team do uh, day in and day out. And you know there it, uh, there's also this quote that I love, which is never let a good crisis go to waste. And I think in the time we're in, it also gives entrepreneurs a time to rethink their company, what's extraneous that you don't need. What are those things that you've been pushing off that you knew you had to do to make your company more modern? For us, it's faster, more nimble, less expensive production. It's volume of content. And how do we enact that now that the crisis is upon us and our world's been turned upside down? So those ideas that you had on your sheet as a leader or an entrepreneur or even as a, as a salesperson or a business person, now's the time to like take them off the sheet and put them into action and not just have them keep moving down the list because you're too busy. And so I, I like to use this time to, to make changes and, and tinker and try to see how to build, you know, company that's set up for the future. Yeah. And I'm going to get my marketing agency on for half a second, which is why I also love this piece because you said something interesting about being faster, more nimble and less expensive production. And I find that to be super interesting because, again, like I mentioned, coming from the marketing agency world, when I first got in it, right, like seeing companies spend millions of dollars on integrated campaigns to just get the attention of people, I was like, what? I was like, where they, Where does the, what? <laughs> Why do they do this? And then now realizing, I'm like, wait a minute, now that production value is going to be shrunken and it's going to be shared in nuggets across more channels and across more people. So I'm like, I just, I'm, fascinated with kind of like what you've been finding with kind of removing this high production value and like what you've been finding as you go more niche. Yeah, I think, um, you know, for us, you know, we talked about specialization before and the idea that 
people people believe in in, in people that have specialized skills they don't believe that one marketing company can do it all or one community builder can do it all or one b2b person can do it all they believe that you know you have different gifts and that they need an array of those talent to pull off all the myriad of things they need to accomplish and so for us you know we created like a tiered production system where we can do you know there's someone that manages the high level you know peloton commercial that's going to be all over tv that's got to be really high-end production or uh, you know a um, a charles schwab ad that has to look high-end because they've got a high-end clientele and so we have for me it's about earmarking like that person's especially specialist in that area then i have another person who's sort of a specialist and they run a team that's in that like middle tier area where there's production money and there's some time, but it's not super high end. And then I have, I built this bottom tier, which is arguably today as important as any of the other tiers. And that's just like low, low cost, super fast, nimble production and that can churn out volume and, you know, test and optimize and it's more in the in the social media and digital performance marketing space and so you can't have one leader or one person that has all those skill sets but you can have individuals leading those groups that know how to do each of those and that's that's what we built whereas before it was a little more it was a little more muddled you know you try to get people that are swiss army knives that can do all those things and i realized that specialization is really important and giving people a real clear lane to become an expert at, um, and then they can excel. And, and that, that's what I've seen be effective as we're, we're building this production model. Well, I love that. And I think it's, it's, it's such a good point that you're kind of bringing up is like giving the specialization, but like also these weren't things that you guys naturally inherently did before, right? Like you weren't thinking like, oh, let me have these tiers and this is something you guys have recently developed which I find awesome and super innovative because listening to a Simon Sinek video about kind of like the new oh, future. Yeah, he's, yeah, he's awesome, man. If anybody hasn't listened to oh, or, or read The Infinite Game, definitely recommend checking that book out. And one of the things he mentioned was this uh, pizzeria, I think in Chicago, that when they realized they had an oven that was so big that they could now reheat metal in the oven. And now they're selling and manufacturing masks that can then be sold to hospitals and they're not making pizza right like oh wow that's crazy but like that's insane. yeah so like, talk about a pivot man exactly but like even to that point of like oh well like up until this point they were really really good at making chicago deep dish pizzas and then all of a sudden now they're equipping hospitals with metal face gear right so like this specialization i find is super interesting because a lot of times, like in my worlds, right? Like a lot of times marketers, it, this was interesting. I think 86% of marketers said that they found their demand generation and their business and their like marketing efforts like effective. And in my head, I'm like, 86% of y'all said y'all are doing a good job. Yeah. I call bullcrap. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. I caught bull crap on that too. So, and like all this, like the specialization idea, I find super interesting. And um, I think it's a model that can be applied in, I think for specifically like B2B marketing, 
that this specialization of having that like low cost, super fast, nimble production that can churn out volume and that can really talk to different personas. I think that's where you win. And this idea of having this like marketing leader that does everything, it's kind of like uh, you need smaller people to help bring up that team. And so, yeah, you can have someone on top leading it, but then you need, you need to assign people like you got to be an expert in this. You got to be an expert in this and you got to be an expert in this. And I think, um, I think one thing that I've always found with, with B2B companies is they're, they're very performance marketing driven for sure. And I believe every company, whether it's, B2C, B2B, your, you know, your personal, whatever you're selling, anyone, there has to always be a mix of brand and performance. You have to always be able, even if you're a B2B company, I feel like still needs to build a brand that the world recognizes. Because even if you're selling in a specific channel, if you can, if you can make that brand known, you're going to go so much farther than the competitors in the space. And I always, I just find like brand building is, is, is just so critical. And, and the, the tenets of brand building, you know, it has to be like a simple message. It has to be consistent and you have to figure out a way, and speaking of community, to get com- the community to help market your brand. Like those three principles for any brand, I think apply. It's like simple message that is the core of what you stand for. It has to be consistent over time. Can't keep changing it every year. That'll be confusing. And then you have to figure out a way to get your hardcore audience or your community to help give them tools to help market your company for you. And I find that those principles for any company are are incredibly useful. No, I I 100% agree with that, especially being someone now that's trying to uh, figure out kind of where my positioning lies and thinking about how do I simplify my message to stay more consistent and get people to kind of share the things that I'm, you know, bringing out into the world. So like, I guess one idea that this just gave me was like, if I'm thinking about how B2B marketers or me as like a B2B marketer, I'm gonna think about how I'm positioning my offerings, and my products. I'm like, what could I give someone that's like very small enough that they can like take and then use it to then kind of start the conversation of the, this like a couple of episodes ago, someone mentioned this idea of like the campfire effect and how like everybody's used to telling stories and like historically over time, like all we do is go back to the campfire, whether that's on LinkedIn, whether that's on Facebook, whether that's, you know, at the dinner table with your family, like there's always this like campfire effect when there's a story being told and whether or not you realize you're actually in it or not is, is one thing, right? Like some people don't even realize they're being, you know, story told to or they're in a story. So I, I definitely think uh, it's going to be something that I'm going to be more conscious of moving forward. Yeah, I talk, I talk about that all the time that like you, we have to le- all learn to be great storytellers doesn't matter if you're in a B2B sales channel or you're building a community or you're an influencer marketer, whatever it is. If you want to make your point of view to an audience, you have to be able to transport them emotionally through a narrative. And our, our brains are basically story processors. We're not logic processors, which I, I, I always talk about because people think data and numbers and charts and graphs that goes in one ear and out the other, and it might, it might be okay. But you got to take that data 
and be able to tell a story with it that's interesting and unique. And that's what makes people remember. And, you know, when we do media plans uh, or media buying and planning for some of our companies uh, that we work with, if we just say we spent this and this performed best and this is we want to put more money into this, they might be okay. They're not going to remember it. There's nothing memorable about data and, and performance. But if you can weave a story, a, a brand story around that and why that's important, and, and really that has to be create, everything has to be, have a creative storytelling aspect to it. That's what's sticky and that's what people remember. You have to always think about that storytelling there. Yeah, no, that makes, that makes so much sense. And, and one more thing while we're on this topic of, of B2B marketing, like, could you give some, I'm going to ask for the, the hardcore uncle advice here of like, if you were looking at a B2B company and you were giving them advice on how to brand themselves, like what sorts of things, obviously the simple messaging, consistency over time and finding a way to get your hardcore audience and community to help market your brand, like those things. But like, can you go like a little, like one step deeper and, and like kind of maybe share some tactical advice for any B2B marketers that like are in marketing and are trying to get their brands to like this place that people like recognize who they are and say like, oh, B2B company A, like I saw you and like you were next to the State Farm commercial, right? Like, yeah, yeah, that's us. <laughs> well, I think, I think a lot of the, in, in the B2B space, and we primarily work with, with B2C brands, but the, the, the rules still apply. And I think they're, they're even more important to, to B2B because too often B2B marketers will focus on the person that they're talking to, the person they're selling to, that channel. And they'll get into the, they'll get into like the super detailed information about what they offer or why it's more powerful or why it's faster or why it's cheaper or why it's more efficient. And they miss that simple, you should always be marketing at the, at the high level so that anyone in the world understands what you do. Like if you keep that principle in mind, anyone in the world understands what you do, not the specialty thing that you're selling to that specialty audience. I think that is how you build a brand. Then you can go deeper and get into like the features and benefits of whatever you're selling to that person. But at a brand level, you have to think about if this was a global brand and one of the best brands in the world, how can I make everyone understand what we do? That's the way you have to start. And I think too quickly, B2B brands go like, niche, 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 and, you know, gobbledygook that only their vertical understands. And it's hard when, you know, if you're working in that channel and you, you're at a cookout and you tell someone what you do, they won't, you know, they'll like glaze over and they won't understand. You got to be able to have that elevator pitch for any brand. I think that's a fundamental, important note. I, I tried to confiscate <laughs> this dude's phone and he just grabbed it. Nah, it's all good. You got to let him, let him be wild and free. I think I, can, I think back in the day, I this is one of my fun stories. I got grounded when I was a kid because I went to the grocery store to get Gatorade, and I didn't tell my mom. And I saw her in the grocery store, and she grounded oh me for the rest God. of the summer. So I'm like, ah, let him live; he's good. Wait, you were you were grounded? How old were you, bro? I think I was in like I was in like elementary school. Like, so I had to be like. Mm, six this like between fourth and sixth grade i think grounded for the rest of the summer oh though God. let's let's the rest of the summer 
Like, could you imagine today if you grounded your son for the rest of the summer and was like, you're grounded for all of summer? No, man, I couldn't do that. That would like, that would also, that would ruin my life. But back in, but back then it was like, oh, wow. Like, Trav, can you come out and play? And it's like, nah, cause like. Wait, where'd you grow up? Where'd you grow up? In uh, Wilmington, Delaware. So like in, in oh, the suburbs. Right so like go and play kickball at the cul-de-sac, going to go adventure in the woods and go fishing in the creek. Like literally would wake up before the sun came up to go fishing at the creek with friends when I grew up. Also, like th- some of the le- lessons that I picked up from like those times about like literally, this is one of the things I shared a couple episodes ago as well, is we used to play this game called Eat Dirt. And like people hear about it, right? Like you hear Gary Vee talking about eat dirt, eat crap, all that. But like, no, we legit played basketball. And if you lost, you legit had to eat dirt for 30 seconds. And then we would videotape you eating dirt. And everybody, even the best of the best, ate dirt at some point because there was always that one like last minute put back that like you couldn't, 4C and everyone did it. So, so eat dirt wasn't a metaphor. Like you had no, to actually, it, Jesus Christ, man. We'll be to Delaware. It's hardcore. <laughs> man, who, who would have thought Delaware was so hardcore? Mm, nah, not many people. Most people still don't know where it is. And when I bring up that I'm from Delaware to people in New York, they're kind of like, you're from where? I've never met anybody from Delaware. So <laughs> I went to, uh, I went to University of Delaware for one year. Oh, no way. You were a yeah. blue hen down there in Newark. Tell me it was a, but- Tell me it was a crazy year. I know they know I know they know how to go hard. Yeah, it was a crazy year. That's why I transferred. It was too crazy. Uh, no, I, have a, and, I have a bunch of friends. <laughs> and I'm a I'm a big uh Joe Biden Joe Biden fan. So uh Okay. Yeah, yeah. We worked on so, his we worked on his um logo, his uh presidential logo, and we've done a lot of work with him in the past. So uh I'm a I'm a Delaware fan uh through, I mean, through Biden. Let's go represent the first state all day. Let's go. Like, let's go. Let's do it. I think it's it's one of those things, interestingly enough, too, that I don't I actually don't even share that much. Like, I feel like if people were like, where are you from, Trav? I'm like, oh, I'm from Delaware. They're like, what? But I think one of the interesting things about kind of weaving the stories together a little bit, it's like thinking about like where you come from and then kind of where you are now. And like if you kind of look at that actual gap, it does something to you mentally like for me i was even saying to um some of the guys at our building like coming from a place where like your parents grew up and they were the first ones to kind of get out of their respective towns right like they grew up in saint stephen south carolina literally if you google it the town's like 1800 maybe right now so like it's very very small like you got one grocery store like you got a gas station like very very tiny right so for me, it's like they came from there and now I'm like in New York, like doing virtual podcasts. Like, what? So again, to some to, to us, I'm like, oh, it's just a, a step in the road, right? But then other people, it's like uh, to me, it's kind of inspiring to kind of see like where my parents started and then kind of see like what I'm trying to do now. It's awesome. Yeah. They must they must be psyched. Uh yeah, no, they're excited. They sometimes we have conversations. They're like, what do you do? Like, who do you talk with? Yeah. Well, <laughs> podcasts? What is that? Right. Yeah. So for me, it's kind of just like reassuring that, like, hey, like you're still going down the path. It's it's a I'm playing the infinite game, right? So I'm I'm trying to figure out how to continuously add value to people 
Um, and one of the things that like, we kind of chatted about before too was this idea of like mental health and kind of what that world is. And I kind of wanted to save this for this part of the, the conversation for two reasons. One, because I know typically uh, mental health is, is, a, is a topic that's not discussed a lot. And especially right now, and seeing like what my like I I've noticed my reaction to like Delaware and you asking about that and I was like oh wow like I legit noticeably got more excited and these sorts of conversations I feel like aren't happening as much because the two ways that people interact on this platform that we're on right now is either a they hop into a call because their company said they need to talk through this thing right or b they are you know isolated and they're trying to figure out like how do I keep from being bored it's like they nobody's like thinking how do I use this platform to improve my mental health and to talk through situations and to talk through challenges so kind of went on a mini rant there for a second but could you share I guess a little bit about your thoughts around like mental health and you know what you're seeing or any thoughts you might have for people that are trying to improve their mental health you know I I I don't know if any of this is going to be like earth shattering or new but you know for me I've always, you know, for a long period of time as, a, as an entrepreneur and a leader, I really wanted to always show strength and decisiveness and sort of no cracks, no cracks in the ceiling. And somewhere along the line, like maybe, maybe a, a couple of years ago, I realized that being, being vulnerable and saying that you either need, need, you need a day off or, you know, I, I, I do I do therapy right now. I'm doing like virtual therapy, which I always thought of therapy as like a I'm too I'm mentally strong for that. Like I don't need therapy. And as I started, uh, really, what you learn through through therapy is how other people perceive you, like how you come off to other people. Sure, they can help you work through specific issues like death of a loved one, divorce, relationships you know, feeling isolated, uh, having anxiety, but also, you know, if, if they help with that piece and then you, you continue through therapy, it's really a good tool to understand how you come off to the world. And when you understand how you come off to the world, uh, you understand how you take in information, whether it makes you feel excited, anxious, defensive, whatever it might be, the emotions, it helps you get in touch with those emotions and how helps you understand how the other world, the, the rest of the world sees you. That's a really valuable tool for anyone in business in any position. And, you know, there's a lot of options with therapy. It doesn't have to be hundreds of dollars an hour. There's different ways you can get, you can do, you know, group therapy, which helps in that technique. You can do therapy where people are trying to get their hours in. But I think, there's different ways to find good therapy, but it, it, you know, if you're not, if you're not going to be meditating hours a day to get centered, which is another good technique, or if you're not using exercise, well, I mean, I would recommend using all these things if you can, uh, exercise to help clear your head, uh, whatever it might be. Therapy is, is uh, something that I really, really support. And I talk about it openly now with, with all my employees and people at work. You know, I can't do that. I've got therapy and I talk about it and it's, it's, it sort of allows people to embrace that. And, you know, that might be obvious in New York, you know, it might be less obvious in some of our other cities like Chicago, you know, or, or maybe somewhere uh, more remote like Wilmington, Delaware. But 
I think being able as a leader to talk about the importance of it and that, you know, I don't have to be invincible. Like I can show vulnerability and that I go through hard times and that, you know, things, things aren't always easy. I think that just having that vulnerability and showing, showing a little psychic skin, I think is really useful to let other people open up and create an environment at work where you can talk about issues that you're having and you don't have to act like everything's, you know, perfect. Yeah, I think that's such a good point, especially with what's happening right now. And my biggest concern, again, I'm obviously distributed and I'm just me, but one concern I have for like friends and especially larger companies is that like they're struggling with understanding the impact of what's happening in their companies. It's like, for example, one of my thoughts around this is, well, if everybody is only communicating with people they work with consistently through Zoom, are people going to forget how to communicate with each other? Like that is a real question I have in my head. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's possible. And you know that I've read a, a lot of research about Zoom fatigue, which is really, really real. So, you know, we're working for us building ads together over Zoom is so much different than doing it in person. And I think some businesses, like, you know, you, you've been doing, you can do podcasts like this all day long and it's the same way you were doing it before. Uh, so it's not really a change for you. When you're in a professional services environment and you need to get 10 people together to land on something, it takes like three more meetings than it normally would. Someone has an idea, then they got to get the right people lined up, then they got to book a Zoom call. Then you got to get on the page and say, actually, I want to change it to X, Y, and Z. It takes much more effort. And so we're, you know, we're on Zoom from, from eight, literally like eight to seven every day, back to back meetings. And Zoom fatigue's real. You know, I was trying to figure out at the end of the day why I was way more tired at home than I ever was in the office. And uh, it's, it's a real thing that can be really taxing. And so we've, we've instilled things to help for, for mental health breaks and, and, and breaks from working in this style where we block off. We have four offices and we found a two-hour window in the middle of the day where no one can book a meeting. And it's called, you know, deep work time. And that's where, and it lines up in the different time zones. Yeah, it's good. And that deep work time is you can't book meetings then. And people have to do their critical thinking and they have to prepare whatever they have to prepare and you can't touch it. So it's, it's, you know, 10 hours during the work week that's untouchable and you have to book meetings around that. That's made a huge difference. That's really helped because we were getting to this point where it was, you know, people were sort of couldn't figure out how to weave in time to do the actual work because they were just doing meetings all the time. So we have this two, two hour window called deep work time. And then we'll give, um, you know, we'll make sure people have mental health days where they're off zoom all day, you know, Friday or a Monday and they can extend their weekend. And we try to balance that. So it's not everyone doing it at once, but you know, helping, helping instill those, those different things. And then of course we have like, like every company will do team happy hours where you're not talking about work. So that's one thing. And then, you know, another thing that to stay in touch with, friends outside of work. So, cause you don't want to zoom after you've worked all day, you don't want to zoom with people. And so one, one technique that, you know, and I talk about this in the book, it was, which was pre COVID, but think about when you're 
when you're when you read something or something of interest to you, don't think about just putting it on your social channel for everyone to see. Think about the person where this article or this song that you're listening to or this book that you just read, why how it might speak to someone in your network, whether it's professional or personal. And then send them a note about it. It doesn't have to be a Zoom call. You know, it doesn't have to be like I gotta block a half hour and tell them why it was interesting, et cetera. Just text it to them with a note like, hey, I'm thinking about you. Here's something I thought you'd find relevant. And doing that one-on-one connection does sort of fight against what you're talking about with you know, how we all going to communicate at the end of this. And I think thinking about things in one-to-one versus one-to-many is a good way to you know, keep those relationships going and make sure you're you're in your on the top of mind you're thinking about other people i think it's a really useful tool yeah i'm sure you saw me scrambling i was trying to figure out which book i had this in but i have like my own little can you see like the dw in the corner i can yes yep so like that's that's one of my principles here that i use a lot is like getting this deep work in and i know i'll have a good session when i get up to deep work 9 cuz i obviously started at 1 so i'm still going deep on i like that on something yeah Deep work nine over one thing. I like that. Oh, this one was on content-based networking, which is which is another book one of my guests uh, wrote. But it's the idea of creating content collaboratively with people with you know the intent of building relationships and offering mutually beneficial value to each other. And so, like I was going through, taking notes. I picked out like four chapters that I thought were super interesting or would be helpful to me. And I actually like, I guess this is a tip that people can use. It's if you're like reading a book or starting something, a lot of times like you think you have to read it cover to cover. That's like a a myth that a lot of people have about reading books. And one thing that I found helpful was like starting at the beginning and deconstructing, okay, let me look at every single chapter in this book, right? So this specific book was broken down into the foundations, the goals, the people, the content, and you're done. So four steps. And then I was like, out of those, these six chapters appeal to me. So I'm going to go deep on those six chapters, get the content out, but then also take notes on it and then apply what I just read to my own life to then use it as, as my own like tool guide. I think that's awesome. And I think that is the power of, you know, if, if, if I take, uh, I'll plug my book for a second. Yeah, good. Why not? Um, but you know, I have, I have 11, 11 habits in there. And Mm -hmm. like I said, you could scan, you know, the starting point, which is the beginning of the book, which you call the starting point, which sort of summarizes what the reader is going to read. Then you can go back and say, well, I don't need to learn about, I don't need to learn about storytelling because I'm already good at that. Or I don't need to learn about, you know, never be closing because I already, that's already how I work. I don't, I don't look to just close and be transactional. And so then you would say, what I'm going to read about is the pull of positivity because that's something I need to work on. And so I love that idea of, especially in business books, you don't have to be intimidated of reading it cover to cover. That's also why I think buying the hardcover book is different than Audible. I think Audible is useful in consuming a volume of books but I think a lot of it, you know, as you're reading it, it you, you're not able to like put the, the pen to paper. And I think that's a really, that's a way I learn at least is, is doing a lot of highlighting and, and dog earing and going back to, to different books that I've read 
and reading the passages again to sort of spark how it made me feel at the time. Yeah, no, 100%. I, I have like similar learning styles when it comes to Audible. I don't like how their like note taking is in there. Like I try to take a note and I'm like, I, I'm no, I don't even want to take a note here because it's too difficult. So I, like even like when I was going through your book, when I was doing it, I would just, I would, for people that this is not weird. So for me, I'm like, I listen to audiobooks in the shower. <laughs> that's not weird. So for me, I have a, I have a notepad that's in the shower. So it's like a waterproof notepad and pencil. So for me, if I hear an idea, I can legit just write it down in the shower and then go back to it at some point. Right. But then even with like looking at the chapters, like one thing I do really love about how your book's laid out too, is just the fact that like they're very succinct topics, right? Like sometimes you'll see like, it, again, for some people that don't read a lot of audiobooks, you might not know what I'm talking about, but like looking in here and seeing how it's broken down and realizing like, oh, like for me, like common ground is going to be important. Giving myself away is going to be really important. And then the persuasive power of storytelling. Like those are, let's say those are my three big things. And what's super interesting about your book is that people can take these and they can literally run the chapter as an exercise. Like they can focus on the persuasive power of storytelling and then take this 40 minute chunk, which may be like, you know, 50, 60 pages, and then do exercises in the habits that you gave them to do. And then they can actually apply it to their own world. So like, that's another thing I think that's a good point to part out about your book. It's like, you did it in a way that people can then take and use in their own worlds. That's right. That's the idea is like, how do you make it not theoretical, but how do you bring it into application and start with the theoretical and the idea behind it, but then say, here's a technique that you can start today. I think that's really important balance that I tried to do with the book. Uh, you, you did it, my friend. <laughs> uh, thanks, man. I tried. Yeah, you did it. Yeah, man, no, we're, we're wrapping up here and I definitely want to be conscious of time. There's one thing we didn't get to, which was the the brands becoming a bigger part of people's lives. And one of the things that I've, I've definitely loved about what you, you do with your actual like, day-to-day work, right? It's like the stories that you tell, you know, for brands. And one of the things that I'm curious about, so two things. One, like how do you believe this role that brands are going to be playing in, in shaping the future of this world we're all walking into? Like, could you talk to that a little bit? And then to follow up, what are you currently working on that you're excited about or that's innovative and game-changing in a way that you're excited to share? Yeah, sure. So I guess the first part of the question is, what do brands need to be keeping in mind during this time period? And so I actually worked on a white paper on sort of communication in the time of COVID. And there was, there was sort of four points behind that document. I'll go over them real quick. And again, this is separate from the book. But the first thing for companies to keep in mind is company actions. Are you fortunate enough to do something that can help people? Some of our clients happen to be doing exceptionally well during this time period. So they might be in a position where they can do something that can help the situation. They can, they can, they can donate either money or products or you know, help frontline workers. So company actions is one thing brands can be doing. 
Number two, which you'll like, is community-based communications. And that is, are you keeping your audience's needs in mind? Who's your hardcore audience? How do you bring them with you? Make sure they don't go away during this time period. Think about what that community needs and communicate to them based on their needs. And it can be outside of whatever your product or service is, but it can be email, you know, catching up with them on email about mental health or how to, how to communicate with others during this time period. It doesn't necessarily have to be whatever your product or service is. But think about your community and communicate to your community. So company actions, community-based communications. If you're doing marketing or advertising, number three is campaign considerations. Are you adapting your work to the world we're living in so that it's, it's not tone deaf? That's a pretty obvious one, but something to keep in mind. And number four, thinking about, this is a good time to think about your conscious presence. Why does your brand exist in the world? What's your brand do? Why is it here? How can you make sure that what it stands for is really important? But think about going back to your roots. What's the soul of the brand? And those are sort of four things that I think brands should be doing at this period of time. So, you know, I'll just go through them real quick. But company action, can you do something to help? Community-based communications, how are you talking to your audience, keeping their specific needs in mind? Thinking about campaigns. You know, what's going to resonate during this time period? And number four, going back to the soul and the core, it's a good, it's a good time to re-examine the birth of your brand and the core of your brand and what's the soul behind your brand. This is a good time for brands to retrench and kind of go back to, to the basics. And so, you know, the brands we work on, we're just trying to, you know, we just did a campaign for Alaska Airlines called Care is Never Canceled, which is very, timely and how they're still caring about their community and their audience, even though their business is down, you know, 90 something percent, like all airlines, uh, they're still putting their customer front and center. So when you, when we come out of this, um, people, you know, they have a lot of brand equity and people care about the brand because they remember the way the brand acted during this time period. So those are sort of some principles that I, I like to, uh, uh, reinforce. I put this white paper out. You can share it with your audience. It's totally uh, open. I can I can make sure you have it. I'll send it to you. Yeah, no, I love it. I'm also usually one that is uh, in the B2B space. I always make fun of white papers only because it's usually with the intent of getting an email address. And whereas like yeah. something like this, it's like, oh no, like this is a free resource that is a medium article that you can refer to. And like, I'm not here to get emails from you, but I'm here to share the principles that I learned with you. Yeah, make it, make everyone a little bit a little bit better at what they're doing during this time period, for sure. Oh yeah, I love that. And I guess let's wrap up on what are you excited to work on? It doesn't have to be mechanism related, or it doesn't have to be um, business related. It could just be like any projects that you're excited about on on your own front, or it can be business related. Doesn't doesn't really matter. Yeah, yeah. We're working on something that is, we're trying to introduce, we're working on a little, a little side hustle project right now that is um, what, what's, what's going to be the new handshake when everyone goes back? Like, how do you greet people without, without touching them? And so we have this idea that we're putting together and we're going to have a little video coming out. It's a work in progress. But I'm pumped about that of just putting something out there, you know, from the company that isn't attached to a brand or selling anything, 
and it's just like a fun a fun piece of pure creative content. So I'm working on that right now, which I'm pumped about. That's dope. I'm definitely excited to check that out. And I think it's definitely a, a way for other brands to to leverage their creativity and think about like how can you give back and help us move forward in the future together and with the creative minds and all the gifts that you have inside of your collective teams, like what can we do together? So I, I love that, man. I'm I'm super excited and thanks again, you know, for hopping on. This has been one of my favorite conversations as of late. And I think this is definitely going to be a super impactful episode. Oh man, it's awesome. That really means a lot to me. I appreciate that. Of course, man. Yeah. I mean, you, you did it like th- these, these things for me are, are super valuable, right? Like I just learned a ton. My original document that I had our talking points on went from this much to now three pages. So like we have a lot of, you know, great value and content that then we'll be able to reshare with everybody. And then I guess two quick things and I'll turn off the recording and we kind of wrap up. One, like where do you recommend people connect with you? So whether it's an entrepreneur or anybody looking for thoughts, like do you have anywhere that you typically like to send them? Uh, yeah, I mean, I have, uh, well, for the book, the soulfulart.com is the website. My uh, email is just jason.harris at mechanism.com, mechanisms with a K. And uh, at Jason underscore Harris, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram. So a lot of options there. Nice. Yes, sir. Go ahead. I will link out to all those in the show notes. And then, yeah, dude, this has been such a pleasure. Anybody that's, you know, looking to learn more about persuasion or how to build, you know, a brand and be authentic about doing it, right? I think authentic and original is is a key piece there that I don't see a lot of people doing very well and really recommend you guys check out Jason's book. And also check out a lot of the work that he's doing a mechanism continuing to push the you know, branding and marketing advertising space forward with a lot of the projects that he's working on. And I'm just super excited to kind of see what you connect with and continue to build this relationship. So thanks again, my friend. It was such a pleasure for having you on. Thank you. It was awesome. Thanks for listening to the Community Builder Podcast. If you received an ounce of value from this podcast, share it with your friends. Oh, yeah. Don't forget to leave me a five-star review. I need those. Remember, each perfectly laid brick moves you one step closer to building your community.